I'd love to take credit for the timing of this, but I, I've been looking forward to getting a chance to talk to Luke Groman, Forest for the Trees, co-founder, president. But talk about a group that's been their finger on the pulse of what's going on. Uh, Luke's team looks at, well, sovereign debt. They look at entitlement challenges. They look at the currencies, looking at the energy interplay. I can't think of a better list of things to be focused on. And I think a bit lonely these days, but Luke Roman joins me now. Luke, really appreciate you taking the time. Couldn't think of a better week to do it, though. <laughs> was, it, uh, sometimes better lucky than good, like they say, right? It was, uh, uh, it's, it's great to be here again, Michael, and, and it is very fortuitous timing. I, I wonder if, though, without looking at those things, I mean, I don't know how you could get a context, an analytical context that's valuable without looking at sovereign debt, for example, as an overhang. Like, how can you talk different policy approaches or talk, you know, whether we're talking interest rates? Well, you have to come back to the impact on the sovereign debt problem. Uh, currencies, obviously energy. That's the whole list right now. Uh, what do you think we're missing generally when we talk about this stuff? Uh, you know, I'm just talking, I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody. I'm just saying, if you say, yeah, but boy, you better consider this. I would say it's really the interplay between them. And what I mean by that is you have these extremely high levels of sovereign debt in the West in particular. Emerging markets went through their latest round of troubles uh, really in the, uh, in the late 90s and delevered significantly after that. So high levels of debt at the sovereign level are not necessarily problematic in and of themselves. However, they drastically reduce your, you know, it's kind of like having a house full of nitroglycerin isn't a problem per se uh, until your, your uncle who likes to smoke a lot of cigarettes and, and isn't exactly careful with the ashes comes over. Uh, and so you've got these extremely record high levels of sovereign debt in the West. And then on top of that, what that requires is, is you need consistent economic growth in order to service that debt. And not just, uh, not just economic growth, but really economic growth in excess of the interest rate on that debt. Otherwise, you go into basically a debt death spiral where the, the, the debt balance keeps rising faster than your, your ability to service it. There's a loss of confidence and, and, and then you have a, a crisis. Uh, so you've got to have the economic growth you, uh, above the interest rate uh, and just nominal GDP. It doesn't have to be real GDP. You just have to have nominal GDP growth above the interest rate to keep high levels of debt uh, sustainable and confidence in the system. So those are two factors that are that there's an interplay. But then when you factor in the third interplay, which is energy, uh, you need to have increasing supplies of energy at uh, an affordable price, at a price that doesn't cut the economic growth. Uh, so you basically need increasing supplies of cheap energy once you get uh, high levels of debt. Because if you have high levels of debt, you cannot afford to have high levels of inflation. Because if you have high levels of inflation, then you have this problem of uh, interest rates going up on high piles of debt. And it very quickly leverage cuts both ways, essentially. And so it, what I think people are most missing is this interplay among the three of where we are, which is we have all this debt. OK, fine. But the problem is, is in order to drive the growth that we need to support just to sustain the level of debt that we have, we need increasing amounts of energy, but to increase our energy supplies, 
the cheap energy is gone. And so all we're left with is increasingly expensive energy, which is fine, except increasingly expensive energy adds to inflation over time. So you need in high inflation to incent the production of higher cost energy to support the debt. But the problem is the higher cost energy filters through to inflation and creates a problem for the high co- for the debt. And so we're in this unsustainable in between this rock and this hard place of we need more energy. The only energy we can increasingly produce is high cost energy, but high cost energy will blow up the debt market, but not producing the high cost energy will also blow up the debt market. And and then when you layer the geopolitics on top of it, one of the biggest suppliers of cheap energy in the world, uh, we picked a fight with earlier this year in Russia. Uh, And in particular, you're seeing now what that has meant for the EU for the UK and for Japan. Well, you know, one of the things also, just as as you're saying, I'm thinking to myself, here we have the situation where we're raising interest rates into weakening economies. And and Europe is, I'm not sure if that even does justice to their economy, calling it a weakening economy. They're in phenomenal trouble. And and Ala, your expression, rock in a hard place. I mean, I don't see how that's working out for the good. How do you increase interest rates, which will slow down economic growth, which the central banks are well aware of? It's not like some surprise there. And I'm going, as you say, yeah, but you've got this big debt problem sitting over in the corner. You can't have weakened economic growth. So, yeah, I... I <laughs> I'm not sure how we're getting out of this one. No, it's it's a playbook that should be very familiar to people that have spent time in or invested for long periods of time in emerging markets, which is what you're seeing out of the Fed, out of the ECB, out of the UK. They're defending their currency. Uh, when you're raising rates into uh, into a, a weakening economy to fight inflation, you're defending your currency, full stop. And that goes for the US as well. Yeah, the dollar's strong against these other energy-poor economies, uh, but what the Fed is doing is, in essence, defending the dollar from rising inflation because ultimately it's the same It's the same problem. Our debt levels are extremely high. And so they're trying to fight inflation to prevent, to prevent rising inflation from driving rates up and rates driving, being driven up, bankrupting the government. It's a there, there is no easy way out of it. There's 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 no painless way out of it at this point. Uh, you either have economic collapse and austerity, and when you get that, there's going to be a severe political cost that we're just starting to see the hints of in Italy over the weekend, for example. Uh, or you print the money and you just inflate it away, and 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 that too will have a political cost. And and so you're really they're trying to figure out who's going to be the winners and the losers. And the Wall Street guys want the bond market to win, and Main Street and Jobs and uh, sort of the middle and working classes to lose again. Um, and you hear that in the Larry Summerses of the world and the, and the, and the William D- uh, Bill Dudleys of the world in terms of we need to raise rates more, we need to raise rates more. Um, and what these guys are missing is that they're going to, you know, the U.S. government's debt position can't afford the, the rates they're talking about. And that's, that's the next aha moment. I think that'll come in the next two, three, four weeks where people go, wait a second, the rates that, that they're talking about taking rates to will bankrupt the U.S. government. Uh, without the Fed printing more money. But that's 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 still on the come. Well, I, I've been blown away also that you look at all the subsidy packages, you know, and, uh, you know, the UK subsidy package, I think they were the 40 billion pounds, but they're talking about uh, raising that. There's small business involved. I mean, the numbers are astronomical is my point, and every set of it's borrowed. You know, uh, every European country's involved in some level of subsidization now for, the, they call it the cost of living, they call it energy. It doesn't matter. How do you get out of that without it being 
you know, a huge devaluation of the currency. I mean, at some point, you can't print forever and not having it reflected somewhere, especially in the energy markets where that's kind of real. The energy is real. The paper isn't. That's the problem is, is this time it is intersecting with the real world uh, in the energy markets. You can print and extend and pretend in 08 and 01 and 98 because these were all paper financial markets. There was not an energy supply issue relative to the amount of paper currency being created. And this time, this time there is. You have an energy supply problem from the standpoint of peak cheap energy. This, the cheap stuff is gone. Um, and our policymakers are really acting like little kids, right? They're, they're acting like, like kindergartners. You know, if you go to a kindergartner and you ask them where your food comes from, they're going to tell you the grocery store. And that's, that's true. That's not really where the food comes from. And it's really not how that steak or that hamburger that they like, uh, you know, at McDonald's, uh, where it comes from. And, uh, our policymakers really are approaching this with the mindset of kindergartners. Where's your energy come from? Well, from the pump. No. Well, from well, we're just going to cut out Russia because you know they're Russia bad, and and okay, where are you going to get your energy from? Well, from the pump. And you don't understand. <laughs> That's it's a very simplistic worldview, and it's it's cyclical, and it's 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 endemic across the West. You're seeing it in the U.S., you see it in Canada, you see it in um, amongst the politicians across the West, and I just I just shake my head and laugh, really. Well, I'd call that sugarcoating it, literally. <laughs> you know, no, but I mean. The astounding, and I've been saying on this show for a while, but how did they not know that wind and solar are intermittent? Like, you, you really think the sun shines every day? So what are you doing when it doesn't? And clearly, uh, Germany's answer was, oh, well, we buy Russian oil and gas. And you have President Obama, President Trump saying, oh, don't do that. Remember, they just went into Crimea. Remember, they just went into Georgia. You know, I mean, it's just astounding. So I think you're insulting kindergarten children <laughs> because, I mean, well, look at Belgium uh, last week, shutting down a nuclear plant that had an excellent safety record, 10% of their electricity. Oh, they don't actually have an alternative for that, you know, and you just go, what's up? And I you know, I appreciate in California, they, they stopped the closing of Diablo Canyon. You know, that was a step in the right direction, but it's only one step. But everywhere else, you can really see and you have to scratch your head and going, you know, we had, uh, sorry, I'm going on and on because the list is too long, so I'll shut up. But <laughs> it really is too long of, of these kind of really head-scratching energy policy that has led us to where we are at this point. Yeah, and there's a lot of different, you, you can say, all right, maybe they're just dogmatic. Maybe they're just stupid. There's, uh, you know, Doomberg we were talking about before had a great piece where he pointed out, you know, it's like Charlie Munger said, you show me an incentive, I'll show you the outcome. Right. So when you have people like BlackRock incentivizing, controlling a significant amount of equity across U.S. markets and they are pushing ESG, they're effectively, if you look at what they're doing, uh, reducing fossil fuel usage in the West to free it up for China. So is, is it a case where China is? I mean, look, if I was China, why would I go to war in the Middle East to secure energy resources? It's expensive and single child policy means nobody wants their kid to die. And it's, it's, it's a, a really difficult. But boy, for probably a couple hundred million dollars, you can start funding these ESG groups in the West. And they can start launching lawsuits at everybody. And, and you can put some money with certain investment managers who really push an ESG agenda. To, and then take a look at what China does. They're <laughs> they're buying up fossil fuel. I mean, it's brilliant. Very, very Machiavellian, I must say. Um, so I think there's an element of dogma, 
uh, lack of experience, practical experience. And I think some of it is, is, is actually pretty sinister stuff. I think we are being, uh, our, our system's being weaponized against us. Um, and it's not, you know, there've been some people talking more about that over the last couple of years. Um, but I think that, I think that is part of the issue. And, and so at some point there has to be, at some point there's going to be a reckoning and the reckoning starts to come when you see in Europe it starts to get cold and there's no heat. You're going to be out of office. And, you know, Mary Poppins is not who's going to replace these people when 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 that happens. Well, we just, as you said, saw that in Italy, you know, this uh, this past week. And uh, again, in reaction, we've seen, uh, you know, we're burning our fuel bills down in Italy. We've seen that other places. You've seen the uh, the protests against high gas and uh, food prices in so many parts of the world. I mean, this is such a dynamic time. That's the other thing I sort of say. It's the old, I'm always talking, uh, my favorite quote is J.P. Morgan, you can ignore economics and politics trouble as they don't ignore you. Well, I think the climate change agenda is a fantastic example of that. The people sort of, the, you know, the pollster phones and yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That climate thing sounds good. Well, now we're getting the real nuts and bolts of it. You know, how about 12 times your energy bill? Does that sound good too? How about literally financing the invasion of Ukraine? Does that sound good? It, you know, all around, and I sort of shake my head, but I'm worried that now we're coming to a point, as you just said, winter's coming, but uh, I'm looking at the currency markets too, uh, you know, and, and your, your work looks at that overall sovereign debt challenge and financing that and interest rates. Yeah, I, I think we're in for a very, very uh, profoundly important time and, and soon. I'm not talking yeah, anymore, wait five years. Oh, no, this is, this is we are, now, the boulder's now rolling down the hill. And, you know, you can watch for a rule change um, by the policymakers or something drastic, but there's no stopping this thing now. Uh, there's nothing more powerful. It's one of the eighth wonders, you know, it's the eighth, so-called eighth wonder of the world, right? Compounding interest. And there's, there's, there's you know, what, what's, what's, what's the Bank of England going to do? Are they going to raise rates? You want to crash your real estate market? You want to, like, you want to crash your economy? That's not going to work. Okay, well, you want to print money? That's not going to work either. That's going to crash a bond market too. So you're, what are you going to do? Same with the eurozone. Same, same with America, for that matter. Um, look, foreigners own seven and a half trillion dollars in treasuries, and their currencies are weakening. They will sell treasuries till their hands bleed. And so there's been a whole group of people going, "Why isn't the long end of the U.S. Treasury curve getting a bid? Things are coming unhinged. All inflation has rolled over because it's a balance of payments problem. Foreigners own seven and a half trillion dollars of treasuries. They are going to sell them until their hands bleed." to raise dollars, to finance their balance of payments problems, to buy energy, essentially. Uh, and so uh, this system, like you said, is that has been in place for the better part of 50 years, it's coming unhinged in real time as we speak. And I don't know what comes next, but it's now moving. It's not going to slow down, in my view. It's going to accelerate from here. Well, one of the themes on Money Talks has been, uh, from a Canadian perspective, just own U.S. dollars every chance you get. Every time we have a little weak thing, and we've done that since 214 for a lot of reasons. But now I'm looking at the danger of that, both how about U.S. exports when you have a dollar up that high, emerging markets who are importing energy, well, they're done. You know, that's not doable. And then I'm looking, uh, and I know you guys have done lots of work on this, but man, I'm looking what happens in Japan, like their desperation to keep that balance. Uh, what if interest rates go up in Japan? I can't even imagine the bond losses there. You know, everything's been oh, yeah, negative can. for they 30 can. years. Yeah, they'll print they'll print whatever it takes. And they'll they'll I mean, that bond market's already not trading. And, you know, for a couple of days at a time last week, for example, um, 
So, it, it, yeah, this is where this is where they are. And so ultimately, where this is going to go is the Fed is basically going to have to bail out all the other central banks. Their Fed is going to have to put the euro dollar market on its balance sheet. And that means well, the Fed's balance sheet will go from, I don't know, wherever it is today, eight point seven trillion to. 20, 30, 40 trillion dollars in a compressed span of time. And that's just what's going to happen. And it is what it is. So it's for me, it's you want to own dollars. You want, and we've been selling our clients for five, six months. Look, if you're managing a monthly book, you should be in all cash. Uh, but we've been raising cash for uh, just, you know, the average investor raise cash, raise cash, raise cash, maintain your core. But, but we're not, we're not selling the core portfolio of gold, energy, industrials. Uh, a little bit of Bitcoin because there's no mystery how this is ending. There, the, the 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 Fed's balance sheet is going to explode higher, and when it does, inflation will follow. Uh, but until then, yeah, the only thing you can really own is a dollar. Uh, as I say, so many things coming on. I mean, I'm looking also Great Britain because it's a 37 year low, you know, for their pound. Uh, and again, they're out there buying energy. You know, they're what I found interesting is they're raising rates and the do, and the pound, excuse me, keeps falling. You know, that's I know it's a simplistic thing to say rates go up and your your currency can come with it. But it is also noteworthy when that isn't happening. You know, yeah, so. that's it's yeah, there's two things that drive currencies, right? It's it's relative rates and it's balance of payments and the balance of payment. If you're raising rates a lot and your currency is still falling, your balance of payments are, are dominating. And that's what we're seeing. And what's driving their balance of payments is energy. So. The British tend to be pretty pragmatic uh, as a nation, and so you've seen them turn around and tra- start trying to. Uh, uh, they repealed the fracking ban. Uh, that is one way they could solve their problems. I don't know that that's going to happen very fast. Um, there's other things they can do, and I think this is where this is going to go. Which is, um, once the British populace feels enough pain, uh, and the Europeans and the Japanese. They're going to call up uh, Russia and they're going to say, we're sorry, and we are going to leave the U.S. We're going to reach a detente with Russia and we are going to see if you will take British pounds to sell us gas. And Vladimir Putin will say, of course I will. And you will have a reordering of the global uh, post-war order uh, based on energy needs and real politic. Uh, because, you know, running on high inflation in a collapsed economy where people freeze at night is not a political platform that anyone anywhere, but especially in the West, can run on. But you wonder if it's avoidable, you know, at at this stage. They've made so many mistakes, whether it's natural gas into fertilizer and, uh, you know, the list goes on. You had mentioned earlier, uh, it's interesting in the emerging markets, I mean, how much money was borrowed in U.S. dollars? Well, I don't see how that gets paid back. I mean, you know, if, I, if, I, if I've got a currency like the Argentinian peso or something that's fallen so dramatically, Ecuador, I mean, the list is a long one. I think I counted up 101 countries that had had tremendous problems. So that's not getting paid back. And I'm sort of trying to think through how that ripples through the system because somebody lent them the money. It's, it, there's, there's two ways it's going to work. They're either going to collapse or they are going to de-dollarize their, uh, they're going to do what Russia did. Look what the ruble did against the dollar as soon as Russia said, Rubles only for our oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Rubles spiked. I, I could stop the Canadian dollar from falling tomorrow if I was uh, Mr. Trudeau. Only accept Canadian dollars for your for your oil and gas. Make the Americans pay Canadian dollars. Watch what happens to the Canadian dollar. Boom. You know the Europeans call the Russians up. We're sorry. 
relaunch Nord Stream 2, we'll pay in euros, we're leaving the Americans. Boom, euro will take off. They're going to have to, or their, their, their economies will collapse. It's, it's, it's harsh, but that's just... Now, there's, there is a, if, if they come up with a, a, a fusion miracle, or if, we, you know, if there's a coup in mm-hmm. Russia where we reinstall a Yeltsin who's willing to basically sell out the Russian people uh, to Western interests for pennies on the dollar, then sure, that could happen. But uh, I don't think that's likely at this point. Uh, and by the way, you won't be aware of this, but uh, it's funny, the media didn't make near enough of it. And our federal election campaign last uh, August, September, um, the prime minister was asked about the Bank of Canada. He said, you'll have to forgive me. I don't think about monetary policy. <laughs> and I'm just, I know, see, <laughs> people aren't seeing you. You're laughing. I know, it, like unbelievable in a world that is the kind of dynamics we're seeing. I mean, the monetary issues that we're seeing at this point. Let's come back to the individual, though, and you alluded to it, but uh, the place of gold, for example, uh, and we're talking not traders, we're talking is, is that a longer term position in order to protect ourselves, at least to some degree? I mean, oh, I think it's at this point, based on what you're seeing, I think it's irresponsible not to have five to 10% of, of your liquid assets in physical gold held out of the financial system. So in other words, not in banks. Uh, I probably don't need to tell that to the Canadian listeners in terms of the risks of holding things in banks uh, after what transpired earlier this year there, which surprised even me. But, um, you know, I wouldn't hold it in your house, but there are non-bank vaulting services uh, that, that can store that for you. But I would want to hold physical, physical gold because... Um, you are looking at the early days of the indictment of the Western sovereign bond market. And there's a chance that every day that passes that they don't act aggressively to fix this increases the odds that they aren't going to be able to fix this without a really bad calamity. And ultimately, um, really bad calamity, what that looks like is, is uh, widespread sovereign defaults, uh, either in nominal or real terms, which we've been expecting them to be in real terms. But now we're starting to see the possibility they could be happening in nominal terms, quite frankly. In other words, you know, you own a million dollars in U.S. Treasury bonds. And then if they don't take action, if the Fed continues to stand aside too long, you look at something where, hey, we're going to renegotiate those. You're only going to get 80 cents on the dollar. Um, and I do not think that's going to happen. I do think there will be countries quite possibly where that could happen. However, that's the environment we're now in because it's pretty simple math. You look at these debt loads, you look at where the rates are in the West. We're at rates that that these Western governments cannot afford, full stop. They can't afford what they're currently spending on plus the incremental interest burden. It's the same burden as the average household in some of these places. Well, and I remember, of course, going back uh, over a decade with the Greek situation where that's where I became familiar with the uh, extend and pretend I mean, they literally did that in Greece, where they said, oh, oh, you remember that five-year bond you used to have? Oh, you got it. It's a 20-year bond. You know, right. I mean, the terms uh, certainly changed. And yep. I think we have a lot of precedents for that in other areas. You know, Absolutely. the old government can do what it wants. Uh, what about stocks at this point? I mean, are you just standing clear? You said earlier about cash. Uh Tactically, yes. Yeah, tactically, I'm still building cash. I'm not putting any new money to work. Um, I've been holding core positions in energy and in uh, in U.S. industrial stocks uh, because ultimately, on the other side of this, I think you're starting to see a reshoring action in the U.S. Um, 
you know, we can commodities around, especially those facing energy, ag, uh, electric vehicles, uh, type metals. Uh, these are places we've been for the last several years. So, um, they're not, they've had a very bad five months, six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, our cash has done fine. Um, but, uh, ultimately, uh, I'm not a day trader. Uh, if I've been a day trader, I mean, all cash and short, um, for, for, for at least four or five months now, but I just, it's been about raising cash, holding our core gold position, holding our core gold miner position, holding our core Bitcoin position, looking at some, um, uh, some some different private equity investments, and in, uh, one of which is uh, electrical uh, transmission and distribution, you know, type of of, of projects. So, um, still very much interested in looking at certain investments, but right now it's about managing managing risk until you see some sort of rule change. Uh, the, this the boulder is now rolling down the hill, and it's not going. You know, you stand in front of it you don't stop it. You just get run over by it. So it's really about managing your capital and, and being risk averse at this point, in my view. With um, uh, just one more thing, um, with rising interest rates of central banks, I mean, they're obviously, I mean, their track record has been abysmal. I mean, it's just, this is a track record business. Forest for the Trees has had a great track record. The Federal Reserve's had a terrible track record. Uh, I don't think you employ 400 PhDs, do you? Uh, that might be a little hint for you. Don't. But uh, obviously, they got inflation wrong, and I'm, I'm, I'm being glib about it. But, but they're looking at this now. And do you see, and I'm not talking in the pivot sort of way that, oh, that will make my portfolio feel better. It's just the fundamentals that you've presented here. They literally can't afford to see these rates continue to go up. They can't afford, pensions can't afford to have the bond side of their portfolio do, such a, do so disastrously without what I, le- I read, what, $8.3 trillion in unfunded state pension liabilities. So that can't get worse. So do you see them halting because of those kinds of things? Like saying, wait a second, um, we just can't go further. I think that's why it's going to happen. You're already seeing treasury market dysfunction. But look, right now, pro forma, uh, U.S. U.S. federal interest expense will be 160 percent of the defense budget next year, uh, and uh, tick for tick, that was just goes up a lot. And receipts are going to be going down, right? So you're going to be looking at a U.S. economy where interest expense alone next year could be 30 percent of of tax receipts with just a mild recession. If you have a real economic calamity, like it looks like we're heading toward, you're going to be talking about U.S. federal interest expense that is. 35, 40% of tax receipts. I mean, that you're really getting into emerging market debt crisis levels there. And oh, by the way, that does not include uh, the, the uh, entitlements, which are basically interest expense. And those are already 75% of all-time record tax receipts. So you're, you're going to be in this realm where your effective interest expense in the United States, the reserve currency issuer, well above 100% of tax receipts next year. Um, and perversely, that will be really, really good for the dollar if the Fed doesn't monetize it. But it's going to be really, really bad for the Treasury market. You will get the dollar to just rise nonlinearly. You will get U.S. interest rates that will rise. You'll, you'll see 1979, 1980-like interest rates in the United States if the Fed doesn't step in. Uh, and that will break the world. It will break the U.S. It will basically force the U.S. government to slash all defense spending, um, entitlements. like, And that's where this is going. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the choice that that the political calamity around that is so catastrophic for the entrenched interests in Washington that I think they'll make the second worst calamity, which a uh, choice, which is 
the Fed will have to print the money, buy the bonds at, at, at ex- politically expedient levels, and inflation will take off. You're going to be, I think, I still think you're going to be at double digit inflation in the United States this time next year because of that. Wow. Well, and again, we're talking the basement of the currency. You know, I mean, at that point, people are not going to want to hold dollars when it's getting printed up. The euros are getting printed up, as they say, just through these uh, bailout or subsidy programs, you know, for energy. My God, what's going on in Japan, you know, makes my head spin, <laughs> like defending that interest rate, uh, worried about the currency rate. Uh, the list is a long one there. Yeah, I think that's and I'm really glad you guys do a great job of sort of bringing that forward. That's the task forward. And that's why, uh, yeah, for me, it's a you got to figure out a way of protecting your buying power somehow. You know, it's all about that. That's right. Yeah. And so, again, back to your comments about gold, you know, silver, just anything that's going to be the debate anyways. That's what what, what different analysts or different investors are going to have to decide how to protect themselves that way. Yeah, and I think you just spread it around, right? You want some cash because who knows? If they stand aside and do nothing, you're going to see the paper price of gold head towards zero. Um, you'll ultimately see the physical premiums sp- separate from paper and then probably vastly outstrip anybody's wildest dreams. But um, yeah, if the Fed just stands aside and decides they want to let this whole thing burn down, you know, then it's cash. And then you start getting into very uncomfortable prepper type conversations around essentials, medications, etc. Uh, because that's something else people aren't talking about is, listen, as the European and, and Japanese and, and UK economies break down, global supply chains are going to re-break down. And as that happens, your inflation is going to take off. And so now what's the Fed going to do? They're going to keep tight. Like they're this Again, it all comes back to the sovereign debt context your operating room is just de minimis. You have no operating room to do what you want to do, to do what you need to do. Ultimately, it all keeps coming back to keep the debt from defaulting and to keep the debt from defaulting, you have to print. But you hold that cash because you don't know how long it is until they have to start printing to prevent the debt from defaulting. But we can handicap it by watching what rates are doing. The higher rates go, the faster rates go higher, the sooner that's going to have to happen. Well, as I say, there's so much food for thought there. It's a banquet. (laughs) <laughs> Luke, and I, I appreciate your time. We teched you a little longer than we said, and I know you're, you've been in a very busy schedule. And I want you to sincerely know how much we appreciate you finding time. I think Absolutely. what you're doing at Forest for the Trees, uh, trees FFTT.com, is uh, absolutely essential work, you know, to protect people because government's not protecting people. You know, uh, <laughs> individuals need protection and need help in understanding what the uh, community is. And they can follow you on Twitter. And I'd also recommend they go to YouTube because you do your your YouTube spots. You just have to put Luke's name in, Luke Groman, there or at Luke Groman for uh, the Twitter account, et cetera. Uh, Great stuff as always. And uh, we hope to visit again in the near future. I'll phone you tomorrow. We'll go again. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Luke. Thanks for having me on, Michael. It was great talking to you.